Once you turn your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, a little different message tonight, and, and I hope it'll encourage you a little bit. I want to, you to understand, uh, tomorrow morning we have the breakfast here at 8. Is that right, downstairs? Okay, and uh, so I better stop at Dunkin' Donuts and get us a coffee on the way in in the morning, all right? But anyway, uh, look forward to that, and tomorrow night uh, uh, we're having a, a meal at 5, and Sunday morning, uh, Sunday school hour, the preaching hour, and then Sunday night. Keep in mind as the faith promise cards will be given out and how it works. And uh, I just want to give you a little thought here tonight before getting a message. You know, missions is, uh, it's not rocket science. It's, it's there all through the scriptures. And uh, when I tell people just to get it right down where the skinny is, when we have a missions conference, a five-day business meeting, it's a commitment that we're talking about to, to God, not to man, not to Pastor Schott, not, not to Dan DeLong or any other missionary that you support. It's a commitment to God. And number two, it's a commitment through the church. That's how the Lord has it set up, all right? And, and it's also, thirdly, a commitment to be consistent over a year. And it's very clear how we do, are supposed to do that. And number four, it's a commitment for the cross of Christ, Amen. the win souls. That's what it's all about, okay? Now, Sunday morning, Lord willing, if he doesn't rapture us out of here, the Sunday school hour, I believe I'm going to do a message called My Advice. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 10, 11, and 12, herein I give my advice. And I want you to come for that and you see what he's talking to us about. But tonight, I want to use Apostle Paul before he gets to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, I want to pick him up in chapter 5. And I want him to speak to us tonight. And I entitled the message, What Kept Paul Going in Missions? What kept him going? Now, you and I have got this thought process in our lives. How many have ever started something and it was good when you started it? But it was hard to finish it. All right. Some of us can't even get through a New Year's resolution till we break it. Amen. But I, I, I just want to encourage you tonight. I know sometimes it is tough. It is hard to stay with it. All right. Especially when things happen in your life. But tonight I, I want to show you four or five, maybe six things to show you what kept Paul going. Now, my wife sent me an emoji on my cell phone last night, right before church. And it was a smiley face with two hearts for eyeballs and a smooch coming out the lips. How many can read that body language for that? All right. So when I got up to preach last night, wow. Okay. And uh, tonight before we ate, uh, she said, I'm taking uh, our daughter and two of her friends out to eat. And she sent me pictures of the pizza they made at this restaurant. They, they let you make your own pizza. They have these kitchens that you work in. And she was saying, it's pretty cool, huh? And then I said, well, look what I'm eating with Brother Marty. And she says, that man is bad for you. You know, <laughs> and I sent her a picture emoji with little hearts and eyeballs. 
and a little kiss, and behind it was an emoji hamburger, hot dog pizza, and, you know, cake. And she laughed and goes, ah, hey, have a good service. Now, let me tell you something. I'm on a diet, and it is hard. And this week, I have gone the wrong way. And sometimes, man, I just want to quit. Yeah, have you ever been there? I go ahead and come into Scripture when it comes being faithful to the Lord. The Apostle Paul reminds us and shows us a little bit of his life. And I mean, I'm telling you, he spent 13 days in the belly of that ship praying to the Lord to get out of that storm. Folks, I would have been done in 13 seconds. Right? Most of you had been over the outside with your life jacket pulled about 13 minutes. Don't throw anything over. I'm going over. All right? Take every life jacket with you. But Paul stayed through that storm, and the great victory came after that storm. Oh, I know he got bit by the snake. I know all that story. But God was in all that. God had a mission to be done on that island. That storm wasn't by accident. Paul praying it was not a mistake. And I see him going through those things, and I'm going, man, I need what he has. So let's look at him tonight for the next two hours, okay? And uh, you chuckle. But I don't know where I'll finish with this because this is a kind of a new message for me. But I'll go quick as I can. Amen? So 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Look at verse 18. Or let's start at verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God who have reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry has given to us the ministry, has given to us the ministry. It's not that we ask for it or it's a maybe. He's given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit or to know that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. Now, verse 18 there says, And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given us the ministry. Of feeding hogs, dogs, and frogs? No, the ministry of reconciliation. The ministry of winning people to Christ. The ministry of giving the gospel out, whether it be in medical missions and Bible outreach. And you say, well, DeLong, what's so big about the Bible? Do you realize when this thing's all over, when there's a, no more old earth and when, the sky, when everything's gone, there's only one thing that's going to last. And that is the word of God. That's the only thing to come out of the old into the new world. And all God's people said, Amen. Preacher, I didn't know that. It's right there in Scripture. I want to encourage you. Hold your hand there and slide back to Romans chapter 5 for just a minute. I want to get you excited before I get into my outline. I want you to catch me in Romans chapter 5 verse 8. But God commended His love toward us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But what to say much more then, being now justified by His blood, uh, we shall be saved from the wrath through Him. For if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. 
And go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And after God reconciles us, he gives us a, a message. He's appointed us. He wants us to be those that help people come to Jesus. Is that a fair enough estimation? Is that what the scripture is saying? Nod at me and you'll get 100 on the test. So let me give you something that I understand from Paul here. And there's six things, and it's quicker than you think the outline is, but they all start with the letter S. Number one, I want you to catch this. Paul stayed with his mission for Christ because he realized he had the sure call of God in his life. He realized he had that sure call. Two plus two is what? Four plus four is eight plus eight. 16, 16. Double it, 64. Double it, 128. Double it. Come on, stay with me. 256, 512, 24. How many have I lost already? Because you've never done it before. You're not sure of it. You was going with me. She's got some math in her. It's just very common sense. Most of us stop at about 16 and 16, don't we? Because we don't want it to tax our brains. And some of us in here tonight aren't sure if God has ever called you to do anything or be anything for Him. Can I tell you tonight, according to Scripture, He has given you and I and each one of us the ministry of reconciliation. I did not write that. I'm just delivering it to you. Amen. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, Be ye witnesses. In the Great Commission, Jesus is going up. What did He tell them? Preach and teach the gospel to every creature. Right? He tells those guys in Acts chapter 1, What are you standing around for? Get with the program. It took him seven years to go 70 miles. Then he had to bring persecution upon them. Paul comes along in the story and he's breathing fire and brimstone against every Christian that's all through Asia Minor. He's putting them all in jail. He's destroying families and ministries. He's doing everything he can. But on that road, that day that Christ saved him, when he got up from that road, when he went down the street straight, and he had that man disciple him, Caiaphas. When he came out of that, and he got his eyesight back. He was sure from that moment on what God wanted him to do. And all God's people said, how many of you folks are sure, sure that you're doing what God's put in your heart to do? Well, now watch me on this. How many are sure that you have made that mistake? And once in my life I did. God put it in my heart to do something, and I didn't do it. It was a witness to a helicopter pilot in 1977. I ran a camp in Chester, Indiana. You've been to our grounds there, a big piece of property. I was in charge of our camp. We ran 150 kids every week. We ran it for 10 weeks, and we had speedboats, and we, we gave helicopter rides, and we had horse bike. Dr. Behrens, you know, helped put this thing together, go-kart rides. And, uh, and Dr. Behrens and I once built a slide that was 130 feet long down a steep bank into a lake, all right? And we made it out of metal, <laughs> How dumb can you be? We, weren't pre we were preachers, not carpenters. And Bill and I worked for 10 days on that thing. And, and we got it. We were too dumb to run, run a 100-pound sack down that thing. So we grabbed a 16-year-old teenage boy. We got him at the top of that thing. He's about 130, 100. And he took off running and he jumped in that chute. He's going down through there. And where it throws you up in the air, he hit it so fast, he went through it. 65 stitches later on his hip. Wow. 
Bill Barron's and I were sure we made a big mistake. You see? But one time I, I, I didn't do what God put in my heart to do. As I was directing that camp, I went up with the helicopter pilot a week before camp started and, and uh, God put it on my heart to witness to him and I had my tracks in my, in my shirt pocket and, and we had our helmets on and I, how many ever had a Charleston chewy candy bar? They, big long ones, they don't even make them anymore. And I had one of them with me because we was going to fly right over my house and I was going to throw one down at my wife in the front yard. You know, how dumb could I be? I could knock her out. But anyway, as we're flying from Michigan City to Chester in about a 10 mile drive and, and he says, you want to see something? And he's going along this field and he comes over and hovers over the interstate. You could see everybody's brakes. It's just it. They thought we were cops. But anyway, and went over my house. I threw the Charleston Chewy out. My wife yeah, uh, waved, you know. We went on to the church and I'm taking promotional photograph of our church property and he's showing where he's going to come and do some rides for our kids in about three weeks and he costs $500 for an hour and, and so we're going to, we, and he said, I'm going to donate this to the church and he's showing me and I said, can I ask you a question? We got our headpieces on. I said, listen, God's put on my heart to talk to you and he said, about what? I said, well, have you ever had any accidents with your, because he owned three planes and two helicopters. He said, I've got over, you know, 5,000 hours in the air, and I've had a couple of mishaps where the motors has quit, but he pulled her out. He had a Golden Mary on a chain. She's always got me through. And I said, well, I'd like to tell you about somebody. About that time, a call came in on his radio. And he started talking, and he was talking tough on the radio, and I got a little bit scared and I could hear the conversation. And so I just kind of sat there quiet and took the ride, took the pictures and got back to my car an hour later there in Michigan City and thanked him. And, and I gave him the track and didn't say anything. And he gave me a $100 bill. Send a kid to camp next week. And I never said a word to him. And I said, well, get, get this. Do you have time? Read it. And he said, well, I don't know. I'll have time. He put it in his wallet. He said, I'll see you, man. I'll see you. One week later, <clears throat> That same helicopter is flying over our property. He's giving a lesson to a police officer from uh, over in Hebron, Hebron, Indiana, Hobart, Indiana. And while they're going over the property, something comes out of the helicopter. The back end falls off. It's about 2,000 feet in the air. It crashes right in front of me. I drive my car right to it, jump over the fence. A trucker stopped. He jumped over the fence, and the helicopter's sitting there smoldering. And as I ran to the helicopter, the bubble's been busted off. He's sitting there, the man I was supposed to weak, witness to the week before, sitting there, looking at me straight ahead. I unbuttoned his seatbelt and started to pull him out. And of course, he was unconscious. The man beside him, as we pulled this pilot about from here to the wall over there from the helicopter, the helicopter exploded. First time I ever seen a man die in front of me. I could not get to the flames, neither could the trucker. We come back to the pilot and we started CPR. And I did the first breath and then I did the second breath and then his body exploded on mine. I come to two hours later, sitting in the back of a squad car by the back tire, staring in a ditch with his wallet in my hand. And I looked inside that wallet and there was that track by seven $100 bills that had never been touched. 
I'm sure that man never went to heaven. And I'm sure I missed that opportunity to witness to him. And I carry that today, not for you to feel sorry for me, but I want you to be sure that Paul knew for sure that God had called him and God wanted him to be a witness. What? Not only to the Jews, but also what? The Gentiles. When God speaks to your heart and you're sure of it, do it when he tells you to because the time, why you still have time. I very seldom ever tell the story. My wife's been there. She went through that with me. I had to testify in court a year later. I had to do what, what took place. So did the trucker. Nobody, it was a company that was sued. A little bolt that big came out. But the point is, I had seven days before to be a witness to him. I just want to encourage you, make sure you do what God puts in your heart when it comes to being that witness. All God's people said? Yes. Paul was sure of that because he said, I did not cease day and night. He said, I told you, I warned you, I've cried for you. Number two, can you point this out and see it with me in 2 Corinthians, not only the sure call, but what motivated Paul to stay with his missions program was salvation's change. You see, Paul became a new creature. Look what it says in chapter 5 and verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new and all things are of God. Hey, Paul is saying, hey, I have changed. I've got this sure call in my life. I'm not the same. Salvation has turned me around. I'm telling you what, when I got saved, I don't know about you, but I don't have drug stories. Never sold dope, never been drunk, never did anything wrong like that. I've only gambled once, thrown pennies at any penny, and I lost. My dad gave me a spanking for that when I was about eight years old. But I didn't walk on water. And I didn't get saved. I was raised in a Christian home till I was 17 years old. But the night after I got saved, I knew the next day some things had changed inside. And when I began to read God's word and I got baptized and become active in the church just as a teenager, something was inside of me telling me, get off the farm. Don't work in the coal mine like all your friends are. Don't go to the parties like all your mates are. I want you to do this. It was kind of like, God, what are you doing to me? You know what he was doing? He was changing me. The Holy Spirit was working on me. I only have my story. Is your story somewhat the same? Is that, is that am I true? I, I don't know. Maybe I'm off here, but once a person gets saved, don't you think they should become a new creature? Yeah. It says, by their fruit you shall know them. Hey, I've seen people get saved because they feel the heat. I've seen people get saved because they saw the light. The one that saw the light is the ones that really got saved. Amen. I don't know about the other ones, but I've had them do, do that. And those that see the light, those that really un understand, you said the new lighters, amen? That story this morning got me thinking about this. And I want to encourage you, uh, have, have you changed? Are you sure that call? And I want to tell you, salvation changed Paul, and it got him going in the right direction, and it should encourage us to keep on going too. Number three, let me go quickly here. What kept Paul going in the middle of, of all of his ministries? And he says it, he had this strong compassion. The word is strong compassion, not just compassion, strong compassion. Look what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Look at verse 14 and 15. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge, if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which should live should not henceforth live. <gasps> there it is. 
unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. There's that ministry. That, just don't die to yourself. You, you, you give yourself to others. When I see Paul's life here and I read other parts of the Bible that the Holy Spirit used him to write, love held him to it. And you know, love should hold us to the mission that God has before us. And, you know, and, he, and he, he puts this thing in us that we just want to do what God puts in our heart to do. All God's people said, it's pretty easy to mow the yard. But somebody's got to do it. Pretty easy to do the vacuum the floors. Somebody's got to do it. Pretty easy to put the songbooks up and, and do the music, but somebody's got to do it. It's pretty easy to do the sermons, but somebody's got to do it. All right? Somebody has to do it. And in the body of Christ, whether it's the sermons, the songs, the carpet, or the yard, it said He's given us all the ministry of reconciliation. Every one of us, including me and including you. And what keeps us going in this, now watch me on this, is our strong compassion, our strong love. Amen? How many's ever been disappointed when you went soul winning? How many's been blessed when you went soul winning? How many's had great soul winning adventures? How many have no idea what I'm talking about? Don't raise your hand. I love bus ministry, preacher. Wherever I go, whether it's New Guinea, Australia, Indiana, North Carolina, I'm always involved in that. Because that's where, that's, where, that's where the low people are in every ministry I've been. And I, I had a bus ministry in Indiana, and I, I, God had blessed that thing. And, and I had saved two garagefuls full of furniture at, at, at uh, yard sales while I was doing my bus route. Uh, yard, <laughs> bus route people buy cheap yard sale stuff, and then they'll sell it the next week. <laughs> Make a couple of bucks on it. And so I would wait till they bought it, and I'd buy it off of them. I had two or three refrigerators, eight or nine beds. I had all kinds of stuff, you know. And, and one of our bus mothers, when I knocked on their door, their house got burnt out. It was the Pointons. And she had seven kids, no husband. And she was on welfare in Indiana and Wisconsin. <laughs> She's just crazy. And, uh, and she said, Pastor, my house burnt. Look at And it was all burnt out. And there's the smoldering couches out in the front yard and the gas stove that caught on fires laying in the front yard. And the, uh, the uh, fireman just left. And she said, we're getting a new house across town. And uh, they're going to put us in there tonight, but we don't have any beds or anything. I said, I'll tell you what. If you come to church tomorrow, I will bring you a stove, a refrigerator, Three beds and a couch, kitchen table with six table, kitchen table with six chairs. But I'll do that for you if you come to church tomorrow for me. She says, you got a deal. Man, I tell you what, we got off our bus route, myself and Joe Reed, two pickup trucks, load of furniture. We went over to that place where they were. We got there. We unloaded it. We got everything in there. We got the stove there. We got the refrigerator there. We got the couch there. And she says, I'll see you in the morning at nine. And boy, I got the bus the next morning and we had our workers and writers on there. And I come off that bus doing a victory dance. I knocked on her front door. She opened it up and called me every name in the book. She backed me out in the street. I'll never come to your church. You're a liar. You're no good. I said, whoa, 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 what's going on? She said, the refrigerator you gave us doesn't work. So you're a liar. What? 
excuse me, and I push myself by her, and Joe walks in behind me. I walk into the kitchen. I'm looking around, and I bent over and saw that I'd never plugged the refrigerator in. I went and plugged it in, opened the door. Now it works. And I walked back to my bus. I was mad as a wet hen. Never looked back. Shut the door for her. Got on my bus. Joe got in behind me. He's a deacon in our church. He said, preacher, what are we going to do? Nothing. Out of here. Oh, I was mad. Oh, how I hate that rabbit. I'm telling you, I was mad. How many ever been that way? How many ever been misused in the middle of God's will for your life? It didn't go the way that you wanted it. And you got your little feelings hurt. So you took your little trickster Bible and went home and pouted. Sounds like an indibap- a Baptist indistinctive, doesn't it? Amen? Because you're doing it for you, and I'm doing it for me, instead of doing it for him. Get the point. Strong compassion doesn't dwell here, but it dwells up there. He tells us that. That, that thing that holds us. Man, you talk about Paul and disappointment. Man, the people that hired him to go after the Christians are the same people hired to get him killed later on, to get him stoned, uh, follow him through these lewd fellows to get him put away because he'd turned into a Christian. What kept Paul going? Number one was his sure call. Number two was salvation's change. Number three was his strong compassion. And number four, I love this one, the seat's claim. I don't know about you, but I've claimed the second pew this week. And he's claimed that one. You've claimed that one. The Millens always sit there. They've claimed that seat, and she's got there, and you're there, and you're there. And the, the Widemeyers, the, the dad and the daughter, they have their seat, and, and you all got your seat. And, and, and the guy back there, he's got his seat. Even the little kids in the nursery have claimed their seats. But that's not what I'm talking about. Let me show you a little bit about the Bema seat. This has nothing to do with sin. It has with God about issuing you an opportunity to serve Him. And it does come up later. This is so encouraging. Look in your Bibles with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The judgment seat of Christ here is not a question of sin, but it's an issue of service. Look what it says in chapter 5 verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that which he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, ministry of reconciliation, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. Paul says, I want to tap your conscience a little bit. Here's that seat's claim. It is an elevated seat to watch and see how you serve, how you run your race, how you do what God puts in your heart to do. It's not a work salvation, but as you serve God, as God puts it in your heart to serve, if you do that, that's an encouragement. And that judgment is a blessing, not a punishment. And how many understand that? But if you don't do what God tells you to do, that's on you. That's not on Him. So I learned a long time ago from an old preacher, it's really good to do what God puts in your heart to do. And when you think about faith, promise, giving, or grace giving, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 comes up, verse 7 and 8. So as a man purposeth in his heart, so let him, say it with me, so let him, everybody, so let him give. give. It's not a bad word. Okay, Give what? 
what God's blessed you with. Above your tithe. Well, preach it. What's that called? Grace giving. Why would he want it? For the ministry. Philippians chapter 4 says, and that Paul said, I'm, you've given it to me once and again. I've never asked for it. But now that you've given it, I want you to understand that this is going to be added. My God shall supply all your needs. It shall be added to what your what? Account. We don't like to give, but God wants us to give that he'll keep our accounts straight. God will never let you starve. Amen. But you got to have that faith of Paul here. I want you to understand, Paul had that sure call. Paul had salvation's chains. Paul had this strong compassion. Paul had seats claim. And number five, he had the sure consolation. This is just, this is like, again today, I had to go to the donut station. Preacher, after we ate breakfast, I had to go three hours later. I did my power walking. I powered over there, <laughs> walked inside and won a large coffee, three creams, extra shot of espresso, and she had two left. So I bought one. I hope there's one there in the morning. Amen. So, and I had another one of those. And I mean, I, I knew for sure that that thing was going to be good because I'd had it already before. Now, how many in here know as a Christian, when you exit this body here, when you die here, that you are going to go to heaven? How many know that? And that's good enough, isn't it? Huh? And then you could maybe get some crowns. Amen? How many know about that? Oh, getting real good. Now, let me tell you something. I'm, I'm going to encourage you. I want you to catch this. On top of that, this is a sure consolation prize. Guaranteed. Chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. For we know that if our earthly house be of this tabernacle, we're dissolved. We have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed upon with our house, hello, which is from heaven. Hello, John chapter 4, verse 1 through 3. Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. If I have not told, it's not, it is true, you get a house. Amen. How many like that? Amen. No mortgage payments. Amen. Sure done. Amen. I'm paying a house payment now. <laughs> when I die, my kids can pay. But my thing is, I'm telling you, I have to pay that. I don't have to pay it when I get to heaven. Amen. And God's going to build me a house with kind of a sure foundation. And folks, I'm not going to decorate it. He's going to have it decorated. Amen. And I think the street out front's going to be pure gold. Isn't that great? I probably end up next to Marty. A week for eternity. Amen. Somebody asked me if I've been to Israel. I said, no, I'm not going. I'm going to go seven years after the rapture and it doesn't cost me anything. Then I can go free and see the whole thing. I got to figure it out a little bit, don't I? Not that only I get to go to heaven, but Paul writes once. John writes about it. Others write about it. We got a home in heaven prepared by God Almighty just for us. You get more than your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You got a deed sitting up there waiting for you. All God's people said... Man, that is great. Yeah, but there's times we, we want to quit. There's times that we just don't want to participate. And I want to give you the last reason why Apostle Paul never quit in his missions ministry. Remember where he says, I fought the good fight. I finished my course. But he says, I kept the faith.
Now that faith is this. I kept my trust in God that he would always be faithful no matter what. Look what it says. My last thought is this. What kept Paul going was that he knew the devil is always sincerely constant. Sincerely constant. Now what do you mean by that preacher? How many realize, as it says in 2 Peter chapter 3, chapter 5, verse 8, the devil walketh about as what? Seeking whom he may devour. Huh? Now you better be sober about this. He's not after unsaved people. He's not after deadbeat Christians. He's after people that want to really do and be something for God. Now catch this thought. He never rests. The Bible tells me here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, look at verse 8 and 9. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore we labor, we work at this, that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. Paul says, whether I'm here or I'm there, I'm not going to stop working for Christ. And Paul knew how the devil works. Just in the last six months, I have had three pastor friends that have pastored churches for over 20 years are not in the ministry today. And two of them are facing at least 30 years in jail. And I was with them in meetings five years ago. They've been with me in New Guinea three years ago. And I had no idea. And when you talk to these men... They're made of the same blood. They're made of the same life as you and I. And I want you to catch this with me. The devil has a target on each and every one of our lives. You must be very consistent in your stance against this. Don't let him have that little crack, that little seam, that little place. You know, what kept Paul going was, number one, he was sure of God's call. And when he got called by God at salvation, he was changed. And God put this strong compassion in him. And he said, he tells us in chapter 5, I've got the seats claimed. God's given me this opportunity. And he's watching me serve, so I'm going to do the best I can. And then I have that sure consolation. And you know, folks, we want to reach everyone to Christ. Is that true? We want to have a church that's a soul winning church. We want to have missionaries that go soul winning. But we got to know why we do what we do. And we better look at Apostle Paul because he's been down that road before. I want to encourage you, none of us, none of us, none of us are exempt from sin. All of us, all of us, all of us always have the opportunity to do what's right. Keep that in mind. As I come to the middle here, It's a choice. And Paul puts this in here under the direction of the Holy Spirit. God wants us to catch it. That he has given us, it says, the ministry in verse 18 of chapter 5, and all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given us the ministry of reconciliation. You know, as you close your Bibles, and I'll close on my last illustration tonight, 
If you remember last night, I preached to you the story of Goru Baptist Fellowship, Goru Baptist Church, and how this little girl died. And in that death, we started a church. A year went by, and that little church had grew from 40 to maybe 60. My wife had been there with me and my sons, and my wife's parents, they're 85 and 86, they flew over in 1995. They'd never been on a plane that long, and I don't think they've ever flown again after that trip. But they come to New Guinea with us. We let them get over their jet lag, and they wanted to see our ministries, our, ba- our home church there. Gary, who was running about 500 folks at that time, and thing had grown, and we uh, had a Christian school of about 180, and God had blessed that thing, and we had a Bible college on Monday night, Tuesday night, Thursday night. We had church on or a Monday night and Tuesday night, church Wednesday night. Thursday night, we had a hospital visitation, nursing home visitation. We had madhouse visitation. We had a madhouse there, an uh, insane asylum place we'd go to, and and then uh, on Friday, we would have youth activities and Saturday soul winning. I mean, we was busy every day of the week, but we took, we was going to go two days and go up the jungle to Gorhu and see how the church was doing. And I, I had three boats rented and we took 12 pews in those boats, 21 foot dinghies. And we we're all sitting around the stuff and we're going up the river. When we get there, we unload the pews. About a thousand people in the village, they remember us from the funeral and starting the church and very happy to see us. And, and the funniest thing in the world is when you're going up a river and you see all the natives running along the bank of the river in front of you. And you see kids scrambling out of the water because they see this white bald head coming at them. And they know they got to get dressed to be proper. And, and, and you should see them running through that village and then and they turn around and come out with putting their clothes on, so excited to see the Talbada. And man, when I brought the pews, Brother Pastor Hanawa was happy. We carried them up the shore. We taking them over to that little church is located. And then around the corner, after we got everything down, we turned around and there stood about 400 natives mad. And the United Preacher was drunk, leading those 400 against us. I had no idea what was going to happen. They started arguing and all Hanawa's guys got there, went and got spears and held them like that. And I'm standing there and it's the first time my mother-in-law ever shut up in her life. It was answered prayer. She said, what are we going to do? I said, y'all go get on the boat. They got on the boat and Hanawa said, pastor, you go. We'll take care of this. But you're outnumbered like 50 to one. God's in charge. Don't worry. Man, that guy's short and he doesn't look like he's too bright and he's surrounded and about, you only got about 40 guys with him. There's 400 looking at him and the, the United pastor's drunk and screaming and yelling stuff at me and him. And Pastor, you just go in the boat and pray. I'll see you on Saturday. I said, man, you'll be in heaven on Saturday. Amen. I got in the boat and went and they'd squared off. And I, when I got in the boat, I saw Hanawa pointing at the preacher talking. Last time I saw him, I go, oh man. I went home. My wife and I am worried. Our church is worried. We're praying. And I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm telling you. And, and, and so Hanawa showed up Sunday. Him and his six brothers and their wives. Four or five other families came with him. Said, preacher, let us tell you a story. And he said, we took him on with God's word. We took him on and told him what their pastor was. We took him on that what he's telling the lies and that he's wrong, and we've proved it. And preacher, when I showed him in the Bible, or you showed me, when once you're saved, you're always saved, the whole village said, we never saw that before. 
And they realized that preacher had been lying to them for over 10 years. And Hanoah was telling them the truth. He said, there was no fighting. In fact, you know what they did, preacher? They put that guy on the boat, put his wife on the boat, burned his house down, could never come back in the village. They made him leave. He said in his little broken language, God is so good. Now you listen to me, folks, on this. And he said, I am sure God is going to bless us. That little pipsqueak, five foot tall, uneducated, back of the swamp, PNG, Hanwha, had more faith in God than I did. And God taught me another lesson. Amen. I want God to teach you another lesson this week. You distrust him. You can't see tomorrow, but you trust him with this mission's emphasis. And you look at Paul's life, and he was sure of that call. And he had this strong compassion and salvation changed him. And when God come to him to go to the Gentiles, he did not say no. He basically said, where do I go? And you know the rest of the story. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. No one's looking around. Tonight as we have this message, a little different type of message that I normally preach. But God put it on my heart. May we take Paul's life tonight and let it press us forward as I unwrap this chapter for us. May, may we have these things drive us forward in 2018 and the mission's emphasis, Lord, uh, here at, at Harvest Baptist Church. And, and as it says in verse 8 and 9, labor be accepted of him. Paul says, I just want to be, I, I want to be always laboring against the devil and what he wants to do. And I, I know, I know you promised me if I do what you put in my heart to do. You're watching me from that beam of seat. You're, you're going to watch me. You're going to protect me. You're going to guide me. You're going to answer every question. And I pray tonight we can look at Paul who can say, Brother DeLong, Pastor Marty, I realize tonight that God has called me to be part of the ministries of this church the ministries of outreach or the ministries of mission, the ministry of reconciliation. Would you pray for me that I would stay involved or get more involved? Could you raise your hand? Pray for me. Thank you. Thank you. Many, many hands all over. Number two, hey, salvation's changed me. God changed my direction. But I've been floating along here and God spoke to my heart that I need to have that witness and testimony. That, that I have this strong compassion. And it's shown through my ministry of love towards Christ in this ministry of reconciliation that he's given us to reach the lost of this world. God spoke to my heart tonight. Would you pray for me? That I'll be part, thank you. I'll be part of this outreach, thank you. Whether it's missions or soul winning. And lastly, who can say, preacher, God spoke to my heart tonight to keep an eye on the devil, to watch out for his traps. Be sober and be vigilant because he wants to stop us every step of the way through sin, through discouragement, through situations, through things around us. But greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Who can say the Lord touched my heart tonight to sincerely I realize the devil's going to be against everything I'm doing and I'm going to stand with Christ every step of the way. Who can raise their hand and say, pray for me. Pray for me that I'll be loyal to that. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Pastor Marty.